We're reading 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 19, and that's um, on page 1,220. That's 1 Peter chapter 4, um, verses 12 to 19, um, page 1,220. <clears throat> Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on, come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you were insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal, or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Thank you very much, Annika. And good morning, everybody. Shall we pray as we begin? Loving Heavenly Father, your word is a lamp for our feet and a light on our path. So we pray that as we consider it now, you would illuminate our path. You'd point us more to Jesus, that we may trust in him all the more. Amen. Well, as we get in, back into the swing of things in this new year, we're going to be looking at the final sections of 1 Peter over the next few weeks. If you were here with us um, over the autumn... Uh, you'll remember that we worked our way through the book up until the middle of chapter 4. In the first part of the book, we heard Peter describe Christians as God's elect, his chosen people. And they are therefore given an inheritance in heaven. Because of his great mercy, Christians are born into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. But Peter tells us that Christians are also exiles foreigners, we're, we're strangers. If our home is in heaven, where our inheritance is, then where we are right now cannot be our home. And so Peter has urged us to abstain from the sinful desires of the world and to live such good lives among the pagans, the non-believers, that they may see our good deeds and glorify God. And over the last couple of chapters, we saw lots of practical ways showing us how to do that. And here we are, we kick off a new part, the aim of which is to show us in different contexts what it means to follow Christ's example. And the context for us today is suffering for being a Christian. Now, these verses aren't talking about suffering in, in general terms, but specifically suffering for being a follower of Christ. 
We get a hint of the kind of suffering Peter's uh, first readers were experiencing in verse 14. Primarily insults. You can imagine ridicule, probably exclusion, but probably not physical attacks or imprisonment. Now, you may have experienced similar suffering for being a follower of Christ. Perhaps you were insulted over Christmas dinner by your family when you suggested giving thanks to God for the food and for Jesus. Perhaps at work you've been overlooked for a promotion because you've been scrupulously honest with your clients. You've not exaggerated the length of time it will take to do a piece of work because you know that Christ is full of truth and you choose to be the same. You choose to be like him, much to the annoyance of your boss. Or perhaps people at college mock you because they know that the reason you show kindness to the person nobody else likes is because that's what Jesus did. He did the same. I'm sure you can think of other examples as well that you've experienced too. And they are painful, aren't they? And often our natural inclination at those points is to think, why, why is this happening to me? Where is God? Am I doing something wrong in my Christian faith, which means that I'm facing this suffering? Well, Peter here helps his readers to answer those questions, as well as giving some really good practical advice for those times when we do face suffering for being a Christian. And in doing so, he gives us some instructions that we can summarize in two sentences in the pattern that is going to pop up on the screen. Do not something, but something, because something. And we're going to create two sentences this morning. We're going to fill in those gaps. The first gap that we're going to fill in says, do not be surprised. Do not be surprised. Follow along in verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Peter wants to ensure that his readers are not shocked or stunned when they're ridiculed or insulted for following Jesus. Christians live in a hostile world. We've already said our home is not here. So in a sense, hostility is to be expected. We stand out. We're, We're different. After all, Jesus himself experienced this hostility. We see it throughout the Gospels, and ultimately it led to the religious leaders scheming to get him killed. It happened to Jesus. And what does he say to his followers? Well, in John 15, he says, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own, as is you do not belong to the world. But I've chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. So as painful as our fiery ordeals are, as tough as we find them, as long as they might endure for, we should not be surprised when they happen. It happened to Jesus. It will happen to us as we follow him. We're on the same path that he was. And perhaps we might even find this more and more as our culture moves further away from biblical teaching. So that's our first do not. Now for the but. Do not be surprised, but rejoice. 
Now, there's going to be a, a part of us that just thinks, how is it possible to rejoice when I'm facing insults for following Christ? Let's read verse 13. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. What does Peter mean here when he says, participate in the sufferings of Christ? Well, he simply means that when suffering comes to Christians because of their faith in Christ, they are sharing Jesus' sufferings. The Gospels show us clearly what, um, what sufferings Jesus faced. You know, he was rejected by his, by his family, his hometown. He was abandoned. He was betrayed. He was denied. He was mocked. Ultimately, on the cross, he was forsaken by his Father in heaven. But even beyond the cross and the resurrection and his ascension into heaven, his sufferings continued. In Acts chapter 9, when Saul is on the way to persecute Christ's followers in Damascus, Jesus appears and asks him, why do you persecute me? You see, Jesus identifies with his people when they are insulted, when they're mocked, when they're hurt. The God on whom we rely knows what suffering is all about, not merely in the way that God knows everything, but by experience. That's how one writer puts it. And so the life of Jesus Christ disproves any notion that we might have that God will not let really bad things happen to good people. Christ has suffered for Christians And Christians suffer for him. The experience of suffering is a shared one. At my previous church, there was a a Christian brother there from um, Iran. He'd obviously been brought up um, in the Muslim faith, but he chose to be a follower of Christ in his 20s. And he was persecuted for it, but thankfully he managed to escape to the UK. But his sufferings didn't end there. His family continued to reject him and mock him. It was incredibly painful experience for him. As a church, we obviously prayed for him. Uh, We supported him. His pain was shared by the whole church as we did those things. That's a a human example of how someone's pain is shared. Our pain was his pain. His pain was our pain. One of the things that um, helped him walk through the suffering was the knowledge that Christ's sufferings were enough for him, they were sufficient for our brother. They were all that he truly needed to rely on. And you see, that's where we have hope. Because our unity with Christ in and through suffering means that we'll also be united to him when his glory is re- revealed. And at that point, we'll be overjoyed, not least because we will be with him, but also because heaven is restoration. We get back what we might have lost for Christ. The beauties of this life that we might have lost through suffering for him, we get them all back and they are more glorious than ever. So our path is the same as Christ's. We suffer now, but glory is to come. And so we rejoice through suffering now because suffering, through suffering, God is preparing us to rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. 
But how do we rejoice? What does that actually look like when we're facing suffering for him? Well, it can't mean be happy all the time or just get through this with a smile on your face. Now, those responses are denying that suffering is, is hard, that suffering makes us weak. And just pretending that we're okay is, is unhelpful. It's a self-sufficient response. But to rejoice is much simpler. Rejoicing in God means setting our focus on him, reminding ourselves who he is, who Jesus is, what, what he's done for us, who we were before we followed Christ, and who we are now in him. So, for example, if you're facing suffering for Christ at work, before you get there, read the Bible each day so that the first voice you hear is God's, not the mocking voices. Enjoy sharing gospel encouragements and thanking God for them with others in your small group. These are ways, and you'll be able to think of many more, that we can set our focus on him during suffering and rejoice. When we do those things, sometimes we, feel, we will feel joyful emotions, whatever our circumstances. But sometimes we won't because suffering is painful. Peter describes them as a fiery ordeal. Martin Lloyd-Jones explained it well when, we, when, he expl- when he said that we shouldn't expect God to simply remove the sorrow of suffering and replace it with happiness, but that we should look for a glory, a taste, a conviction, an increasing sense of God's presence, that that will help us to rise above the darkness. That's rejoicing through suffering. But we also find wonderful blessing here too. Why should we rejoice? Do not, be ashamed, do not be surprised, but rejoice because we are blessed. That completes our first sentence. You see, God just doesn't just provide us with a hope for the future. He helps us right now in the middle of suffering. When we're feeling lonely, when we're isolated, when we feel cursed, we are actually blessed. Verse 14. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Simply, we're not alone. We've just sung about it, haven't we? We're not alone. To help us understand what it means that the spirit of glory and of God rests on us. Here are two verses from the Old Testament, from Isaiah chapter 11. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruits. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. Now we know that Isaiah here is speaking of Jesus. He's prophesying about Jesus' coming. But Jesus didn't just come on his own. No, the spirit of of the Lord came with him. We see that happen when Jesus is baptised. The Spirit of God descended on him like a dove and rested on him. And what Peter is saying here in verse 14 is that the Spirit of God also rests on the suffering Christian. And so we're not alone. Did you see how Isaiah described the Spirit of God? He is of, of wisdom. He's of understanding. He's of counsel, might, knowledge, And the fear of the Lord. 
And aren't those things exactly what we need, what we need when we're facing suffering for Christ? Godly wisdom, godly understanding, counsel, might. So we find that not only are we on the same path as Christ, suffering now, glory to come, but we also have the same companion as Christ, the spirit of glory and of God. And so when we're mocked by our friends because of our faith, perhaps we feel that people are excluding us from things because of it, let's dwell on the fact that we have the greatest companion, God's spirit working in us to show us Christ and to bring us to that day of glory. Right, on to our second uh, sentence now. Firstly, do not be ashamed. Follow along, verses 15 and 16. If you suffer, it should not be, a, be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed. But praise God that you bear that name. Now we must not confuse suffering because of our faith in Christ with suffering because of our sinful behaviour. And so Peter offers us this warning. Suffering, your, suffering for your sins, even suffering for being a meddler or a busybody, well, that's shameful. Instead we're to live good lives. We're to honour God with our behaviour and how we conduct ourselves. So if I was to go into Waitrose after, after the service this morning and go and steal some chocolate and I got caught, I, wouldn't, I could not say that I'm suffering unjustly. If we suffer for our sin, it is shameful. But converse, conversely, verse 16, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed. And so what should we do instead of feeling ashamed? Our next point, we should praise God. Do not be ashamed, but praise God. Peter says that we should praise him because we bear the name Christian. Now, it's probably the case that the term Christian was originally a satirical name given to followers of Jesus by the Greeks. It was probably a term used as a mocking insult of those following his way. But what it actually means is wonderful, and that's why Peter uses it here. He's already explained at the start of the letter that Christians have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. They've been chosen to be sprinkled with Christ's redeeming blood. And in his great mercy, they have a new birth into a living hope and into, and into an inheritance that can never spoil or fade and which is kept for them in heaven. And as they live here on earth, they're being shielded by God's power. So whilst the term was originally meant as an insult, what it actually means to bear the name Christian is wonderful and an incredible privilege. The name really confers a kind of a certain status on an individual, a bit like a title conveys a person's privilege. Think, for example, Her Royal Highness, the Queen. We know that's speaking of Elizabeth Windsor. But the title she bears gives us, gives us an understanding of her status. And bearing the name Christian shows our wonderful status. We have been made right with God through Christ. We've been rescued and redeemed from our sin. And we've been made more like him. And we're going to share in his glories when, they, when he comes again. So 
Don't feel ashamed to suffer as a Christian. Instead, find time in the midst of suffering to praise God that you bear that name. Praise God that he's bestowed that title upon you. Thank him in prayer and in song. Praise him. So do not be ashamed, but praise God because it is better, na- better to suffer now than in the future. Let me read verses 17 and 18 for, to you. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Peter is reminding us here that suffering for Christ is not random. It's not even ultimately in the hands of the persecutors. Suffering for Christ is actually part of God's sovereign plan. He uses it as a means of judging, of separating those who who truly follow him with those who who claim to but are really just making a, a false declaration. And that's why Peter here explains that judgment begins with God's household. God sends and uses suffering to purify his people and expose false believers. So just imagine for a moment two people. We've got Austin and we've got, we've got Bradley. They play on the same football team. Both proclaim to be followers of Christ. They're both popular in their football team. But a new person joins the football team who just hates Christians with a passion. He mocks them both and he persuades everyone else on the team to join in the mocking as well. He overtly blames God when those players play badly or make mistakes. How do those Christians respond? Well, let's take Austin first. And let's be honest, he's been struggling with sin a little bit recently. He, he swears on the pitch occasionally. He sometimes ju- joins in with crude jokes in the changing rooms. But he really hates the insult and the mockery. It makes him really sad. And he comes to God in prayer. And he seeks to dwell on Christ through it. And he learns to rejoice through it. Despite his sins and his failings, he knows that he is chosen He knows he's Christ and he's privileged to bear that name to the rest of the team. But Bradley, well, most of him, most people think he's a good moral guy and and so does he. He struggles with the mocking for a little bit then he kind of laughs it off and then he starts to backtrack about being a Christian and he doesn't come to God in prayer about it. Perhaps he even joins in in insulting Austin and before we know it, he's flatly denying being a Christian in front of his mates. And so we see how suffering for Christ is used by God. It reveals and purifies the true follower of Christ. The pain and the sadness of insults and persecution for Christ actually moved Austin more towards Christ. It didn't happen automatically. Austin has to be proactive. But in doing so, the dross is removed The genuine article of faith is clearly seen. But it also exposes the false believer. Bradley, he would rather enjoy friendship and pleasures now than be associated with Christ and enjoy the glory to come later. And so let the pain of suffering for Christ draw us closer to him. 
We've already heard that he identifies with those who are suffering for him. Our pain is, is his pain. When we're insulted, he is insulted. And it's a path that he has walked down. And so let's come to him, acknowledging the pain that we feel, weeping to him, praying to him, finding comfort in his presence. In our example here, it's clear what the outcomes are. In real life, it might not always be the case. We may never understand how our sufferings for Christ are used by God. We might not see any clear evidence that they've benefited us. That's why Peter refers to them as a test back in verse 12. But the fact that we have walked through them, still clinging to Jesus Christ, shows us the genuineness of our faith. We pass the test. It shows us that we are not, to, we are, we are not like those who do not obey the gospel of God. We will face a different outcome from them, from our persecutors. So God uses suffering as a means of judging his church and purifying them in the present. But in the future, he will, he, in, in the future to come, he will judge the godly, the sinner. And so it is much better for us to suffer for, with Christ and for Christ now, to show no shame in bearing his name, to praise him for it than to face his his final judgment alongside the ungodly and our persecutors on the day he comes. It is better to face suffering now than in the future. The Bible is clear that that is a reality that waits us all. Christians have a certainty that we will share in Jesus' glory and in his glorious kingdom in heaven because we trust him. We trust that he, he died for us to take away the punishment that our sins deserved. We saw that earlier in our bite size. But the same hope cannot exist for those who do not trust in him. And if you're here this morning and you do not trust in him, I, I wonder what you make of this. Perhaps you've, you've never stopped to consider that maybe one day your actions, your thoughts, your words will be judged by God to his standards. Perhaps that's an alien concept for you. We've heard a bit about Jesus' sufferings this morning. Have you ever paused to think that he left the glory of heaven to come to this broken and dark world to suffer, to be rejected by God, to be hung on the cross and left to die for you so that you could have hope and confidence, not fear and trembling on the day of your judgment. So that you could know the depths of his great love for you and because he longs to share his glories in heaven with you. So if that's you this morning, we'd be more than happy to pray with you today. Or you might want to think things through a little bit more, try and understand a little bit more about Jesus. And so do think about coming along to our Exploring Jesus sessions over the next few, few weeks. So throughout this passage, we've seen that Christ's path is the Christian's path. Suffering now, glory to come. He suffered first and was and will be glorified. And we participate in his sufferings now so that we can share in his glories in the future. And being on the same path as Christ, Peter, in our final verse, urges us to respond to suffering in the same way that Christ did. 
Firstly, by committing or entrusting ourselves to God as we go through suffering. Jesus did this. Verse uh, 23 of chapter 2 says that when they hurled insults at Jesus, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And we're to do likewise. When we're, when we're poorly, when we need medical attention, we, we entrust ourselves, our bodies, our, our lives to doctors and nurses. We recognize that they are the best people to care for us. And during those hard times, when we're suffering for Christ, we are to entrust ourselves, our souls to God. He is the best person to care for us when we suffer for him. How do we know that? Well, Peter here uses uses an uncommon description of God in this verse. He calls him the faithful creator. And he does this. So in order to highlight God's sovereignty over all his creation, he's in complete control of what happens. We're told in Matthew that not even a sparrow dies outside of our creator's care. That's his, the level of attention that he shows to his creation. So he can be trusted, sovereign overall, yet faithful too in all things, even suffering. So in times of suffering and trial for him, let's, let's entrust ourselves to him. The second way Peter implores us to follow Christ's example is by continuing to do good. That's been a major theme throughout Peter's letter. It was also a major theme through G- throughout Jesus' life on earth. He, he healed the sick. He, he fed the hungry. He gave sight to the blind. He raised the dead. He, he drove out evil spirits. One particular way that has often stood out to me was the account in, in John's Gospel. When Jesus is, is crucified, he's hanging on the cross in unimaginable agony. And he looks down and he sees his mother. His mother who, on her own, would have no real means of, of supporting herself. And John is standing next to her, Jesus' follower. And Jesus says to Mary, Mary, here is your son. Basically saying, I'm charging John with caring for you. He'll look after you. And to John he says, here is your mother. I'm charging you to look after her like she is your own mother. Jesus continued to do good right in the middle of suffering, right to the end. And we are to do likewise. Suffering for Christ might easily tempt us to, 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 to stop doing good, to move away from that. It might make us think of ourselves more, to prioritize ourse- um, ourselves rather than others. It might make us think that we deserve to treat ourselves because we're going through a hard time. But Peter is saying that we are to continue doing the good we're doing. We're to continue serving one another in church. We we are to continue thinking of ourselves less and others more. We're even to continue loving our enemies. So don't stop, despite the insults, the mockery, the exclusion, the criticism for being a follower of Christ. When you're in the midst of suffering for him, continue to live such a good life that non-believers, maybe even those who seek to cause you damage, maybe they will see 
and bring glory to God. And so when we face suffering, we are to embrace Christ's reality. Suffering now, glory to come. We can be confident that suffering now is, is not a sign of God abandoning us. Instead, he is with us and he is preparing us for the glories that are to come. And so may our aim be to follow his example whilst rejoicing in him. Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great grace towards us. We thank you for Jesus. Father, we thank you that he was willing to suffer on this earth for us and in doing so uh, gives us a glorious future. We know that we will face suffering as a result of following him. We're not exempt from that. So we pray, Father, that you'd help us to prepare for those times and when we do face them even even now if we are facing them we pray that you'd help us to make good use of them we pray that they would draw us closer to you that we'd be proactive in doing so may we rejoice in you all the more and father help us to entrust ourselves to your care and to continue to do good in jesus name amen